Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Here today with Ethan Cross to talk about his book, Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters, and How to Harness It. Dr. Cross is one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind. He is an award-winning professor in the University of Michigan's top-ranked psychology department and its Ross School of Business, the director of the Emotion and Self-Control Laboratory, and has participated in policy discussion at the White House and interviewed on CBS Evening News, Good Morning America, and NPR's Morning Edition. His pioneering research has been featured in the New York Times, The New Yorker, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, The New England Journal of Medicine, and Science. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Cross about the voice in your head. Ethan tells us it's not about taming your inner voice or getting rid of your inner chatter. Talking to yourself can be a very good and helpful thing. Ethan's research shows that there is a right and a wrong way to talk to yourself. In this episode, we're going to see how you can make sure you're doing it the right way and how you can also help your teen adopt a better perspective with their own self-talk. And we're going to see some simple tricks you can apply and you can teach to your teenager to really help you overcome your mental chatter. All that and more is coming up on the show today. Dr. Ethan Cross, thank you so much for being here today. This is really going to be an interesting topic of conversation because your book is about the voice in our head. And I think that's like so relevant because so much of our job as parents is helping our teenagers kind of figure out how to deal with the voice in their head and leverage it in a positive way. And also how to do that ourselves when we're kind of at the end of our rope uh, dealing with our kids sometimes. So uh, I think there's so much relevant stuff to talk about. Totally. Uh, well, we, we are in, in complete agreement. And, you know, it's interesting because I think the voice in your head, when you start talking about it, some people are like, wait, do I, what does that even mean? And one of the things I hope to convey in, in my book was that we all have a voice in our head and actually plays an outsized role in our lives. And there are things we can do to, to manage it better uh, and, and help others do the same. So, so I'm delighted to be here to chat with you. Okay, but so, um, I mean, is shouldn't we not have a voice in our head because we're supposed to be living in the present moment and all of that? No, 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 no. Let's, let's start with that one. I, love that. <laughs> I call that a myth. So, and I think this is a, um, you know, we often hear that we should be in the present and being in the present can be really useful at particular times. The ability to focus, to just um, be in the moment. Great. But the human mind evolved to be able to travel in time. We possess this amazing ability. We can 
learn from our past, save our past experiences. We can plan yeah. for the future. We could simulate, and and those are vital, vital functions. So the issue is that sometimes when we start traveling in time in our minds, mind wandering, and so forth, sometimes we don't end up doing good things. We end up getting stuck, worrying, and ruminating, or experiencing what I call chatter. One one way to deal with that is to refocus on the present, right? But there, there are also a number of tools people can use to just figure out how to travel in time more effectively in their heads. So focusing on the present, that's one kind of tool. Um, but there are dozens of other ones where rather than, you know, if a person is getting stuck in the past to just figure out, well, how can we help you focus on the past or future more effectively? And, and that's an approach that I subscribe to. If our ability to travel in time in our minds is one of our greatest assets, I don't want people to shut it down and just be in the moment. I mean, like right. lower level you know, animals are just in the moment. Like this human brain lets us not be in the moment. So what I think, what I'm more interested in doing is figuring out how can we figure out how to help people become better mental time travelers. And that's mm. all about managing chatter effectively and it sounds like a little new age about you know time traveling but it's really based in research and you've got a lot of science in here um what how do you even study something like the mental voice you know yeah no and i'm I'm glad you pointed that out because i am a scientist and the book is all science-based and the interesting thing about the inner voice is that it, it tends to be this, this kind of light concept that's put out there. But yeah, 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 right. One of the points that I try to make in the book is that there's a great deal of science behind it. So let's break down what do I actually mean when I use this term? When I use the term inner voice, I'm talking about our ability to silently use language to reflect on our lives. And we all have that capacity. If, if our brains are, are working properly, we all have that capacity. So if you could talk to someone else, you can talk silently to yourself. Now, we this is a tool. It's a tool of the mind. I like to think of it as a kind of Swiss army knife that helps us do lots of different things. And we wrote some people rely on it to do some things more than others. So just to give give listeners a sense of the, the terrain, at the most basic end of the spectrum, our inner voice is part of our working memory system. So this is a basic system in the brain, in the mind, that allows us to keep information active at any given moment. Mm-hmm. In time. So if you go to the grocery yep. store and you want to remind yourself what, what's on your grocery list, milk, cheese, eggs, and you yeah, repeat right, right, that right. silently in your head, <laughs> right. that's your, you're using your inner voice. If I give you my phone number and I say, hey, my phone number is 209 and you then want to rehearse it for a second to remember it, yeah. you repeat it silently, uh, just use your inner voice. Uh, so our inner voice lets us do that. It then lets us simulate and plan. Oh, sure. Like um, before a presentation, I'll go over what I'm going to say in my head. A lot of people before a date, they report doing that. Yeah. And, and it also lets us like create stories that help us make sense of who we are. So, you know, let's say you get rejected right? Like, and so how do you make sense of that? Well, we make stories to explain those experiences and our inner voice helps us, helps us do that. Hmm. So this inner voice that we have really is a basic feature of the mind serves us well a lot of the time, but sometimes it runs off track and that's when we get stuck worrying and ruminating. 
And I think that's where there's like a big opportunity to figure out how we can use science-based tools to manage it. There's one study in here that I thought was interesting. You talk about this study that says um, the scientists found inner experiences consistently dwarf outer ones. Uh, what participants were thinking about turned out to be a better predictor of their happiness than what they were actually doing. Yeah, so so the idea there is, and I think this is a common one, like we're engaged in, we're doing something that should be fun, but our mind is somewhere else. Ah, and, right, totally. You can ruin like the best day. The best experiences, right? Like I just yeah, yeah. feel with my daughter and like, this is as good as it gets, right? We're just yeah, hanging there yeah, playing totally. sports and and, but I'm thinking about the, th- the problem at work. Stressed right? out. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's this idea that what's happening in our minds is, is what is determining how we feel, not necessarily just the experiences that we're engaged in. And yeah. so that's another reason why I think it's so critically important to figure out how to manage that mind. When, when people are experiencing chatter, what often happens, and, and, I, and I don't think I've defined that for folks. So yeah. uh, I think of chatter as getting stuck in a negative thought loop. So if it's a negative thought loop about the past, that's rumination. If it's a negative thought loop about the future, that's worry. And when we experience chatter, we get totally immersed in that, in that negative thought loop. So that's all we can think about. Yeah. It soaks up all of our attentional re- resources and when all that attention, that when the attentional spotlight in our mind is focused on just that one problem we're thinking about, it becomes really hard to have other kinds of experiences or, or to do anything else uh, for that matter. Yeah, it's like completely narrows us in on That's right. only one set of options or behaviors or perspectives to think about. You talk about a Belgian psychologist, Bernard Ramey, did some interesting research in the late 1980s. And what was it that was so interesting about his findings? Well, essentially what, what, what Bernard was trying to do is figure out, well, what happens when we experience an emotion? What are we motivated to do? And consistently he found that experiencing emotions act like a kind of jet fuel that propels us to want to share what we're feeling with others. Now, there are a couple of exceptions to that rule. We tend to not want to talk about experiences of shame or, or, or certain kinds of trauma, but uh, all the other kinds of emotions we experience, positive and negative, we often want to share them with other people. Yeah. And, and so he then looked at, well, what happens when you share your emotions, you talk about them with, with other people, in particular, the negative ones. Yeah. And what he found was, in contrast to what a lot of people thought at the time, talking about your feelings didn't often actually make people feel better. It often made people um, feel worse or had no effect at all. Mm-hmm. And, and that's directly, you know, contradictory to the claim that you should just vent your emotions. And so over the course of lots of research, he and others have, have figured out why that is. And what, he, what, what they've discovered is that talking to other people can be an amazingly useful way of managing chatter, but it can also be counterproductive. Yeah. It really depends on who you're talking to and how you're talking to, 
to them. Interesting. Many people think that the way to use other people and leverage our relationships to feel better is to just vent our emotions, just get it out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very common. And what the research goes shows that venting can be really good for uh, strengthening the friendship bonds between two people. So, Mm. you know, it feels really good to know, Andy, that you care enough about me, that you're willing to take the time and listen to what I'm going through. Right. But, But if all you do is ask me questions about what I felt and what I'm feeling and validate what I feel like, oh my God, Ethan, really? That happened on the interview? That sounds terrible. I would feel the same way. That just keeps those negative feelings active. So at the end of the day, you and I feel really close, but yeah. I haven't done anything to like work or reframe the experience. And so the, the best kinds of conversations are those where you talk to someone who, who does take the time to listen to you, but at a certain point in the conversation, starts helping you to reframe the experience. Hey, so why don't you think about it this way? Or here's what I've done in a similar situation. And so that's really the formula for being a good, getting good chatter support. And actually, and also being a good chatter advisor to others. So, uh, so you know, there, there are two take-homes, I think, that come from this science, which is yeah. when you're looking for chatter support, someone to talk to, think really carefully about who you speak to. Don't just haphazardly talk to anyone, right? Like yeah. who? Think about who actually is, you know, does empathically connect with you, but is also really useful in helping you see that bigger picture, which we often have trouble doing on our own. And then the flip side is if someone comes to you for help, be mindful of these principles too. So you can, you can be useful to them as well. Yeah, it's interesting that we have that urge to share what we're feeling. But you also talk about a study that you published in 2015, demonstrating that more time people spent on Facebook looking at other people's lives, they felt worse. Yes. The idea there is um, that, um, you know, social media has basically pretty, pretty rapidly changed the way we live our lives as, as yeah. a, a species. And what we've learned is that social media provides opportunities for people to curate the way they present themselves. So, mm. you know, it's possible when you are posting to make sure that what you say is free of typos and fillers. And if it's pictures, it's a really good picture. And, and so people's feeds tend to be populated by uh, glamorized portraits of their lives. And so if you're scrolling through those feeds and are constantly bombarded with these positive images of others, and, but are, are cognizant of how ordinary your own life is, that can lead people to feel envy and feel bad. So uh, that's one way that engaging with social media can undermine how, how good people feel. Yeah. And you have also an interesting study in here you talk about from Harvard that says people would prefer to share information about themselves with others than receive money, which um, seems crazy, but yeah. Yeah, people like like talking about themselves. Right, which just shows partially what makes social media so addicting. Yes, yes, exactly. You get these reinforcements. So we share with other people. We are, we are, uh, we get likes indicating that 
that they other people enjoy that and that reinforces this motivation to share things. So you did a really interesting study where you uh, had people uh, imagine that they were reliving memories, but as a fly on the wall perspective. Uh Uh, Okay, so can you walk me through why you did that and what was the point of that? Yeah, so basically when we experience chatter, we get immersed in our experience. So we focus on it very narrowly from a, a first person point of view. Um, and, and the more intense, there's research which shows the more intense the emotional experience, the more likely are to, when we visualize those experiences in our minds, to replay them from that first person perspective. Mm-hmm. And so we also know that memory is not fixed and we have the ability to reflect on our experiences from different vantage points, different perspectives. Yeah. And people tend to adopt a more distance perspective or a fly in the wall perspective they see themselves in the experience like it's like they're looking at the entire scene like a director in a movie yeah. um, less emotional events and so the idea was well if people are ruminating about a negative event why don't we have them step back in their imagination and totally. view it from that bird's eye fly in the wall perspective right. and and then try to make sense of it and why that person over there who i'm looking at act the way they did and how can they do it better and so, uh, so that's what we did in those studies and found that um, people were better able to work through their experiences without getting stuck in chatter when they, when they adopt that kind of distanced fly-in-the-wall perspective. Over time, we've done other studies to build on that. And what we've learned is that um, there are lots of tools people have for gaining distance. Okay. Uh, visualizing an event uh, you know, from a fly-in-the-wall perspective is one thing they can do. But um, there are even easier things like you can use language to help you distance from an experience. For example, uh, we've done studies on what we call distanced self-talk, which involve thinking about a negative experience and then trying to work through it using your own name. If you think about it, how are you going to deal with this or the second person point on you? It may sound odd, but what if you think about when do you use names? and second person pronouns, you use those parts of speech when, when you think about and refer to other people. Yeah, it's somebody like, else, yeah. Somebody else, like the word you is, is like the verbal equivalent of pointing a finger at someone else. Yeah, like, yeah, you, right? <laughs> Likewise, names, names are others. And so the idea yeah. is that when you use your name to refer to yourself and the pronoun you, it's a way of using language to shift your perspective, to, to, to be able to think about your experience like you were thinking about someone else and we know from lots of work that it is much easier for us to advise other people than it is to take our own advice if you think of the the old saying do as i say not as i do right right Uh, easier to give advice than to take our own and so we find in in lots of experiments that encouraging people to engage in that linguistic shift all right ethan how are you going to manage this can be really productive for helping people manage chatter. And so it's another distancing tool. Ah, that's cool. Is that something um, that you could like, if your kid is like caught in one of those loops of a mistake they made or something that yeah. Um, yeah. you could like help them adopt more of a, a distance language towards their thoughts? Yeah, yeah. 
you know, whenever you find yourself looping, I mean, that's my go-to strategy personally. Oh, interesting. Okay. One theme of the book. So, so in Chatter, I talk about like 26 different tools and the science okay. behind them and their, how they were discovered. They're all summarized at the back. But one point is there's no single tool that works for all people in all situations. Okay. Different tools work for different people, different combinations of tools. And, and distant self-talk happens to be one of my personal favorites. It's easy to use. And um, it's probably the first thing I usually do when I find myself on the verge of having some chatter. Yeah, um, right. Now there, there are, we've done some studies to look at how, how kids, younger kids can benefit from it. And, and that's led to what we call the Batman effect. And what that involves is asking a kid to pretend they're a superhero that they admire. And if they're working on a difficult task, one that requires perseverance as an example, we ask them to, to imagine that they're Batman or Dora the Explorer working on this task. And in our studies, we have them put on a, a cape. So it's like adopting an alter ego. And, and we tell them like, hey, we want you to coach yourself through this experience. Ah. Like, use, use your name, Batman or Dora. And, and, so, and we find that that helps them persevere on these difficult wow. tasks, regulate their emotions. And, and you know, one reason why we think that works is it's giving them some distance from the experience. It's not about okay. me. I'm now Batman, right? Ah, right. It's like an extra layer of removal. Sort yeah. Of. yeah. And then the other bit is we're also giving them an identity to adopt that. Sure. Yeah. The superheroes. That is an identity that thrives. On, like super, superheroes don't stop no. when they're under stress. They keep going. Right. Um, in some interesting follow-up work that I don't think is published yet, some of my, my collaborators have played with this with this to see, well, what happens if you adopt not the perspective of a superhero, but a super villain? And so what's Ooh. interesting about that is um, that also provides people with some distance from their identity. But what do we know about supervillains? Like they don't, they don't like to do good things. And so, so actually like the identity, and that's what they find in the study, it doesn't help. So it really depends on... Oh. The particular identity you are interesting yeah. yeah huh so it was important being the superhero we are here with ethan cross talking about his book chatter the voice in our head why it matters and how to harness it and we're not done yet here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show the advice I like to give people is to spend a little bit of time learning about what's happening, asking questions. Yeah. And then if you're not sure whether your teen or your colleague or friend is ready to, for the advice phase, you can ask them, Hey, you, you know, and do it authentically, not in a patronizing way, but Hey, yeah. I got it. You, you want to keep going? I'm here for you. Um, you know, or I can offer you some advice, whatever you want to do. You tell me. I think a lot of these tools, what they're doing is, they are giving you a little bit more space, a little bit more perspective to reason about these issues. They're not taking like a negative event and making it into this like positive experience that is great. What these tools do is they allow us to reflect on negative events in our life without getting caught up in them. But I can say that I talk to my daughters a lot about these tools. You know, sometimes they, they do blow me off, but they also listen, even when they are rolling their eyes. And I notice that when they experience chatter, potentially chatter provoking events, like they do use some of these tools. So give you one example, this summer, yeah. my oldest daughter joined a, 
like a diving team for the summer, like a swimming diving team. And, and diving is actually, it's an interesting sport where there are lots of opportunities to experience chatter because you've got a lot of time alone with your thoughts when you're, yeah. in, right? like, it's not high paced, like, Right. Right? Like yeah, yeah. You're waiting. A very little amount of the actual time that you're actually doing the thing. The, the vast majority of the time is like up leading up to it, kind of. Yeah, exactly. A lot of time to think, to think about things. And so, ah, uh, so we're talking about about what that's like. She's like, I, you know, Dad, I, 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 I developed this ritual that I use. And so, mm. the moment I step on the diving board, I take a couple of deep breaths, and then I say come on, Maya, you got this. And I do it and it works. <laughs> and, and so that was really, you know, um, I think neat for me because yeah. I never, I never like taught her about that particular ritual, that that's something that she should do. She, she knew about rituals and yeah. self-talk and developed it on her own. And, and you, and, and so it, it works. So I think, I think, that's you cool. know, the yeah. parents who are listening to the teens, you know, um, push through the eye rolls if, if you're getting them, because if you're giving your teen something of value, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll come back to it and they'll, they'll try it. Maybe not when you're looking so as to not give you the satisfaction of, of having help directly, but, but they will get back to it. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening.